Section 9 of Reminiscences of a Southern Hospital by its Matron by Phoebe Yates Pember. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sue Anderson. They were some distance in advance of the infantry, who came on as well appointed and well dressed as the cavalry. Company after company, battalion after battalion, regiment after regiment, brigade after brigade, pouring into the doomed city. They seemed an endless horde. One detachment, separated from the main body and marching to Battery 2, raised the United States flag, their band playing the star-spangled banner. Then they stacked their arms. The rest marched along Main Street, surrounded by fire and smoke, over burning fragments of buildings emerging at times when the wind lifted the dark clouds like a phantom army while the colored population shouted and cheered them on their way before three hours had elapsed the troops had been quartered and were inspecting the city they swarmed in every highway and byway rose out of gullies and appeared on the top of hills emerged from narrow lanes and skirted around low fences there was hardly a spot in richmond not occupied by a blue coat but they were quiet orderly and respectful thoroughly disciplined and careful of giving offense they never spoke unless addressed first and though the women of richmond contrasted with sickness at the heart the difference between the splendidly equipped army and the war-worn, wasted aspect of their own defenders, they were grateful for the consideration shown to them. And if they remained in their homes with closed doors and windows, or walked the streets with averted eyes and veiled faces, it was that they could not bear the presence of invaders, even under the most favorable circumstances. Before the day was over, the public buildings were occupied by the enemy, and the citizens entirely relieved from all fear of molestation. The hospitals were attended to, the ladies allowed to nurse and care for their own wounded, but rations were very scarce. In a few days they arrived and were issued generally. It had been a matter of pride among the Southerners to boast that they never had seen a greenback, and the entrance of the Federal Army had also found them almost entirely unprepared with gold or silver currency. People who had piles of Confederate money and were wealthy a day previously looked around in vain for wherewithal to buy a loaf of bread strange exchanges were made on the street of tea and coffee flour and bacon those who were fortunate in having a stock of household necessaries were generous in the extreme to their less wealthy neighbors but the destitution was terrible the sanitary commission stores were opened and commissioners appointed to visit the houses to distribute tickets to draw food but to draw from the first-name place required so many appeals to different officials that decent people gave up the effort 
and the rations issued of musty cornmeal and codfish were hard on southern stomachs few gently nurtured could live on such unfamiliar food in the meantime there had been no assimilation between the invaders and the invaded there had appeared in the daily paper a notice that the military bands would play in the beautiful capitol grounds every evening but when the appointed hour came except the musicians officers and men not a white face was to be seen the negroes crowded every bench and path the next week brought out another notice that the colored population would not be admitted and the absence then of everything in the shape of a bonnet or female hat was appalling the entertainers went to their own entertainment the third week and still another notice appeared colored nurses were to be admitted with their white charges and lo each fortunate white baby was the cherished care of a dozen finely dressed black ladies the only drawback being that in two or three days the music ceased the entertainers feeling at last the ingratitude of the subjugated people despite the courtesy of manner for however despotic the acts the federal authorities maintained a respectful manner the newcomers made no advance towards fraternity they spoke openly and warmly of their sympathy with the sufferings of the south but advocated acts that the hearers could not recognize as military necessities bravely dressed federal officers met their former old classmates from college and military schools and inquired after the families to whose home they had ever been welcome in days of yore expressing intentions of calling to see them while the vacant chairs rendered vacant by federal bullets stood by the hearth of the widow and bereaved mother they could not be made to understand that their presence was offensive that the acts they excused as military necessities were the barbarous warfare of midnight burnings and legal murders there were few men in the city at this time but the women of the south still fought their battle fought it silently resentfully but calmly clad in their mourning garments overcome but not subdued they sat within their desolate houses or if compelled to leave that shelter went on their errands to church or hospital with veiled faces and swift steps by no sign or act did the possessors of their fair city know that they were even conscious of their presence if they looked in their faces they saw them not they might have almost supposed themselves a phantom army there was no stepping aside to avoid the contact of dress no feigned humility in giving the inside of the walk they simply ignored their presence two particular characteristics followed the invaders the circus and booths for the temporary accommodation of petty vendors these small speculators must have thought there were no means of cooking left in richmond from the quantity of canned edibles they brought 
they inundated the city with pictorial canisters at exorbitant prices which no one bought whether there was a scant supply of greenbacks or the people were not disposed to trade with the newcomers the stores remained empty of customers the most remarkable fact was that from the shopkeeper to the lowest private none were northern they all sympathized with the south they carried their sympathy it may be supposed in their army trains it was so very cumbrous the officers had all been in the regular army and stayed there to prevent by their influence any bloodshed the first year afterwards they were too poor to resign but they felt so much for the southern people and despised the administration black republicanism and volunteer commission holders the shopkeepers had all come from baltimore and aided the south to the extent of their power though unable to get across the potomac the soldiers had all been forced into the invading army being too poor to hire substitutes even the black allies when questioned involuntarily spoke of the yankee men and the southern gentlemen and paid the deference of habit to the one not accorded to the other never was there so much sympathy on one side and such black ingratitude on the other by this time steamboats had made their way to the wharves though the obstructions still defied the ironclads and crowds of curious strangers thronged the pavements while squads of mounted pleasure-seekers raced along the streets of the city gaily dressed women began to pour in with looped-up skirts very large feet and a very great preponderance of spectacles the richmond ladies sitting by desolated firesides were astonished by the arrival of former friends people moving in the best classes of society who had the bad taste to make a pleasure trip to the morning city calling upon their former friends in all the finery of the last new york fashions and in many instances forgiving their entertainers the manifold sins of the last four years in formal and set terms from the hill on which my hospital was built i had sat all the sunday of the evacuation watching the turmoil and bidding friends adieu till twelve in the day on sunday many were still unconscious of the events which were transpiring and as night set in i wrapped my blanket shawl around me and continued my lonely watch seeing all that is here related an early visit to the wards found them comparatively empty every man who could walk or crawl away had gone beds in which paralyzed rheumatic and helpless patients had lain for months were empty the miracles of the new testament had been re-enacted those poor fellows who were left were almost wild at the idea of getting again into a northern prison having only been exchanged in many instances the month before 
they received all the comfort in my power to give, and with it their usual breakfast. While the shouts of the invading army and their Negro sympathizers were filling the air just below, there was a great deal of difficulty in managing matters, for all the nurses, with very few exceptions, had followed General Lee's army. We made the sick wait upon those in worse condition, and waited the turn of events. At eleven o'clock on Monday morning, the 4th of April, the first blue uniform appeared at our office, three surgeons walking around inspecting the hospital. There was an amiable understanding, apparently, as our surgeon was with them. One of the divisions was required for the newcomers and cleared out, the patients divided among the different wards, and soon wagons arrived laden with necessaries for their own sick. We still had commissary stores on hand of our own, and no change was made. Three days afterwards an order came that all the patients should be transferred to Camp Jackson, the surgeons going with them, so that the hospital should be empty in four hours. Driving over to Camp Jackson in the ambulance, I found the Confederate surgeon in charge, and stating who I was and what I wanted, merely to remain with my sick and nurse them, was received so rudely that his conduct, combined with the excitement and annoyance of the day, was more than I could bear. Discourtesy from our invaders was to be expected, but that a Confederate gentleman should fail at such a time to render a kindness under the circumstances was very hard. He took no measures to assist me, so that all I could do was to take a sad farewell of my sick, returning again to my old quarters at my own hospital till other arrangements could be made. It was fortunate that this result followed, for there were still left in the wards many very sick men, too ill to be removed even on a bed. To them I devoted my time, for the surgeons, obedient to orders received, had left hours before, and the place looked deserted. Miss G., myself, and the old black cook only remaining. They also left at dark, and I sat in my room, endeared by retrospection and the knowledge that in a few days I should have to leave forever. The Federal authorities had as yet placed no guards around, and our own had been withdrawn, or rather had left, being under no control or direction, and not a sound broke the stillness and solitude around. The quiet was interrupted suddenly by a crash in my adjoining pantry, and passing into it instantly, I came upon a group of seven men who had burst in the outer door which opened upon the yard. As my eye traveled slowly from face to face, I recognized them as a set of hospital rats who had never been gotten rid of for even sent to the field one week, they would be sure to be back the next on some trifling pretext of sickness or disability. The ringleader was an old enemy who had stored up many a grievance against me, 
but many acts of kindness paid to his sick wife had naturally made me suppose his wrath had been disarmed he was the spokesman and the trouble was the same old one thirty gallons of whiskey had been received into my pantry the day before the evacuation we have come for that barrel of whiskey you cannot and shall not have it it does not belong to you it is in my charge and i intend to keep it you must go out of my pantry you are all drunk now boys he said pick up that barrel and carry it down the hill i will attend to her but the habit of obedience still had its effect on the boys for they did not move except in a retrograde direction wilson i said you have been in this hospital for four years do you think from what you know of me that i will allow you to take that barrel away without my consent he became very insolent none of your domineering he said all your great friends have gone and we won't stand it now move out of the way he walked up to the barrel and so did i only being in the inside i interposed between him and the object of intention the ungovernable temper blazed up in his face and catching me roughly by the arm he called me a name which a decent woman seldom hears and even a wicked one always resents fortunately i had a little friend which had been kept quietly in my pocket since the evacuation more from a sense of protection than from any idea that it ever would be called into use and before he had time to push me one inch from my position or to see what kind of ally was in my hand that sharp click a sound so peculiar and so different from any other struck upon his ear and sent him back among his friends very pale and much shaken you had better leave i said very composedly considering all the circumstances for if even the first shot misses you which it is very likely to do i have five more here ready and the place is too small for even a woman to miss six times he could hardly speak from rage but after some conversation with the rest concluded to leave but turned wrathfully at the door you think yourself very brave now he said as he left but wait until tonight perhaps others may have pistols too and you won't have it all your way my first act was to take the round head of a barrel and nail the door as tightly as i could using a two-pound weight for a hammer and then still warm with excitement and victory gained i sat down by my whiskey barrel and felt the affection which we all have for what we have cherished and defended but as my blood cooled affairs wore a different aspect there were no fastenings on either doors or windows and as my little bed was just under one of the latter which was only four feet from the ground unpleasant memories beset me of a 
fairy picture I had once seen of a fire-cloud griffin dragging an enchanted princess through such an opening by the hair of her head. This idea was so absurd that it produced a strong inclination to laugh, and having once got to laughing, nervous terrors became dispelled. So, putting a candle, a box of matches, and the pistol within reach of my hand, I went quietly to bed, and, what is more, to sleep, never waking until the sun was high, and hearing nothing more of my visitors. The next day the hospital was guarded by Federal sentries. Perhaps, in telling my story, and it is not every woman who has had a chance of drawing a pistol without a certain degree of ridicule attached, not only the whole truth, but all the truth should be told, and I confess that I did drag away my bed from under that window and put it right in the middle of the room, so that no griffin, were his claws ever so long, could reach me. The next day the steward informed me that our stores had been taken possession of by the Federal authorities, and we could not draw the necessary rations. The surgeons had all gone. The steward, a very good, honest, quiet man, was not calculated to give any help in such an emergency. So, though very averse to any intercourse with the intruders, I walked up to headquarters, formerly Dr. M.'s office, and, making my way through a crowd of strange bluecoats, accosted the principal figure seated there, with a demand for food, and rather a curt inquiry whether it was their policy to starve the captured sick. He was very polite, but said their transports had not been able to get through the obstructions in the river, and until they did so, the army would be straightened for food. Fortunately, having been fearful of this need, I had kept a large quantity of coffee, partly saved from rations drawn, and partly from donations to the hospital. So I requested the loan of my own ambulance, which was under Yankee lock and key, to take this coffee to market and exchange it for necessary food. This was acceded to, and an order given me to that effect, which I passed to an orderly, and having gained one point, proceeded to try the ingratiating style, if necessary. He asked if I were a Virginian, no, a South Carolinian. He had lost a brother at Fort Sumter. Ah, I was very sorry. Why did he go there? He regretted that it was out of his power to assist me in any way, for he saw in the pale faces and pinched features of the Richmond women how much they had suffered. I retorted quickly this wound to both patriotism and vanity. He may have meant to be polite, but that he was unlucky was proved by my answer. If he saw anything in my features that was pinched, or any paleness of face, it was not what had been suffered under the Confederacy, but the horror and dread of seeing our capital in such hands. But my ambulance was once more under my command, 
and putting a bag of coffee and a two-gallon jug of whiskey in, we drove to the market. The expedition was entirely successful, as I returned with a live calf bellowing all the way. Striking up an acquaintance with my Vermont driver, he informed me that they had no such real ladies in their northern hospitals as we had at the south. The drink of whiskey offered to him was refused, perhaps from a latent fear of danger, some foolish story of poisoned pies having been reported. My next visit was to the commissary department of the hospital in search of sugar, but two federal guards were seated in the adjacent room, the officer in charge having left for a moment, a fortunate moment for me, as the key was lying on his desk. In a minute an empty basket was filled and the door relocked. An expostulation from one of the astonished guards met with an explanation that I was always at my kitchen and could be arrested there if necessary. After this no one opposed my erratic movements, the newcomers giving me a wide berth. No explanation of this line of conduct was made, and all I ever gathered was from a young boy who had fraternized with a Yankee sutler, who did me the honor to ask my name, and tell his informant confidentially that the federal surgeon in charge thought that little woman in black had better go home, to which he added on his own responsibility, he's awful afraid of her. Away was I compelled to go at last, but took a room near, and still visited my sick, who had now been removed to another division. There daily congregated all the ladies in the neighborhood, bringing what delicacies they could gather, and nursing indiscriminately any patient that needed care. This continued till the sick were either convalescent or dead, and at last my vocation was gone, and not one patient left to give me a pretext for daily occupation. And now, when the absorbing duties of the last years no longer demanded my whole thoughts and attention, the difficulties of my own position forced themselves upon my mind. Whatever food had been provided for the sick since the federal occupation, it had been sufficient for me to eat and drink. But when that failed, I found myself with a pocket full of Confederate money and a silver ten-cent piece some former gage de amitié, which puzzled me much, not knowing how to expend it. It was all I could depend on. So I bought a box of matches and five coconut cakes. The wisdom of the purchase there is no need of defending. Should anyone ever be in a strange country, where the currency of which he is possessed is entirely valueless, and ten cents be his only available funds, perhaps he may be able to judge of the difficulty of expending it with judgment. But of what importance was the fact that I was houseless, homeless, and moneyless in Richmond, the heart of Virginia, 
who ever wanted for aught that kind hearts generous hands or noble hospitality could supply that they did not receive it all without even the shadow of a patronage that could make it distasteful what women were ever so refined in feeling and so unaffected in manner so willing to share all that wealth gives and so little infected with the pride of purse that bestows that power it was difficult to hide one's needs from them they found them out and ministered to them with their quiet simplicity of manner and the innate nobility which gave to their generosity the coloring of a favor received not conferred i laughed at the careless disregard shown by myself for the future when everyone who remained in richmond apparently had laid by stores for daily food but they detected with quick sympathy the hollowness of the mirth and each day at every hour of breakfast dinner or supper would come to me a waiter borne by the neat little virginia maid in her white apron with ten times the quantity of food i could consume packed carefully on sometimes boxes would be left at my door with packages of tea coffee sugar and ham or chicken and no clue to the thoughtful and kind donner would that i could do more than thank the dear friends who made my life for four years so happy and contented who never made me feel by word or act that my self-imposed occupation was otherwise than one which would ennoble every woman if ever any aid was given through my own exertions or any labor rendered effective by me for the good of the south if any sick soldier ever benefited by my pleasant smiles or happy face at his side or a deathbed was ever soothed by gentle words and kindly treatment such results were only owing to the cheering encouragement i received from them they were gentlewomen in every sense of the word and though they may never have remembered that noblesse oblige they felt and acted up to the motto in every event of their lives would that i could live and die among them growing each day better from contact with their gentle kind sympathies and heroic hearts it may never be in my power to do more than offer my heartfelt thanks which may reach their once happy homes and in closing the plain reminiscences of hospital experience let me beg them to believe that whatever kindness it may have been in my limited power to show the noble soldiers of their state it has been repaid tenfold leaving me with an eternal but grateful obligation there is one other subject connected with hospitals on which a few words may be said the common and distasteful idea that a woman must lose a certain amount of reticence and delicacy in filling any office in them this is an entire mistake there need be no unpleasant exposure under proper arrangements and even if there be the circumstances which surround a wounded man far from friends and home suffering in a holy cause and dependent upon a woman for help 
care and sympathy hallow and clear the atmosphere in which she labors that woman must indeed be hard and gross who lets one material thought lessen her efficiency in the midst of suffering and death hoping with those almost beyond hope in this world praying by the bedside of the lonely and heart-stricken closing the eyes of boys hardly old enough to realize man's sorrows much less suffer by man's fierce hate a woman must soar beyond the conventional modesty considered correct under different circumstances if the ordeal does not chasten and purify her nature if the suffering and endurance does not make her wiser and better and the daily fire through which she passes does not draw from her nature the sweet fragrance of benevolence charity and love then indeed a hospital has been no fit place for her end of section nine end of reminiscences of a southern hospital by its matron by phoebe yates pember